Welcome to In The Now, Episode 2. In this episode, we're going to talk about current market conditions in the steel industry. We're also going to talk about freight and trucking. We will be joined by SteelNow's Chief Data Scientist, William. This show is brought to you by SteelNow. SteelNow takes the pain out of buying metal, whether you've been buying it for 20 years or you are new to metal purchasing. It's a difficult process no matter what your expertise, and SteelNow works with our network of over 60 suppliers to get you a fair price and a lead time that fits with your project. So visit SteelNow.com today. So Jonathan, tell me what you're seeing in the market as far as price and availability. Well, currently in the market, what we're seeing is a a very tight market, Tony. And I think the biggest question is if customers are out there looking for metal, if they are willing to look for it and at what price are they, and with the price they're given, are they willing to pay for it? Currently mills are months behind, uh, months meaning giving it going into July, even September. Prices for carbon steel are roughly 30% higher than the previous records of an all-time high since 2007 and eight. And it looks like they're gonna be elevated for the foreseeable future. And what about trucking and freight? Well, the trucking and freight industry in Texas has been hit pretty hard, particularly over the past 12 months, uh, due to a number of things when it comes to the impact of COVID, facing shortages of truckers, not to mention also the polar vortex that we dealt with. So inside of how customers are dealing with that, uh, a lot of times when it comes to cost of transportation that they're either used to or factoring into their orders is at at an all-time high. And some customers are even looking into picking up or taking different actions to prevent that cost. So basically the market stinks is what you're saying. The market is interesting, fun, not fun stressful it's everything you can think of in the metal industry right now and we're only talking about texas here but i assume as a world as a country it's even crazier because you have such widely different responses to covid right texas is way different than say california and that's probably going to cause some weird issues nationally but we're only talking about texas here and so let's bring our chief data scientist william in and see what he might think about how technology would respond to this type of of market. William, my friend, my colleague, my chief data scientist, (laughs) please. How would technology address the current pricing and availability issues you see in steel right now? I think part of the issue with the pricing and availability is because we're talking about such an old industry, there's not really a lot of heavy supply chain management, especially down to the micro level. A big company will know that they usually sell 20,000 pieces of part XYZ, but they don't really know to scale who's selling it to a smaller player, who's building a barn out of it, who's building a fence out of it. That portion's lost a lot. And where each individual piece of metal is going, I think we don't really have that information. And that's something that wasn't really possible until the last 10 to 20 years with better supply chain management, do something like blockchain or just better tracking that we didn't have in the past. And I feel like that would address many of the issues because the major issue is you have mills that effectively don't know what to expect. 
in the next three to six months, I want someone to actually purchase until we hit this point where something happens and everyone asks for it and then they start producing it, but that'll take months, you know, as, as Jonathan mentioned before. You're saying there's not enough trend predicting. Yeah, and we're, we're always based on what we expected last quarter or last year. And it's just a basic forecasting for something like that. And it works great until you have something like COVID. And then because they're doing basic forecasting as opposed to managing it at a micro level, they really don't understand the market. Yeah, largely... I would say these traditional industries very much fail on trying to change with the current time. You know, they'll, they're great at, at doing the exact same year and reproducing it with a 5% gain every year. But when it comes to adjusting right now for current crazy market conditions, it's a total failure. Would you agree with that? I heavily agree with that. Yes. And I, again, I think that the best way forward with this is better management of supply and where it goes so we can get a better idea. I mean, if we're talking about a supplier in Texas who provides most of the resources to people that make, you know, deer stands and fences and everything around hunting, that's going to be something that obviously was a lot less affected by COVID. So if I'm the person supplying them metal and truly know where it's going, that I'm much more likely to still need the same amount of metal because this is something we can do social distance. This is something people in Texas like to do. This is something that, again, is going to be completely unaffected by something like COVID. But can you really expect to understand what people want three months from now? Say you're in March of 2020. What kind of insight could a company really gain knowing that, hey, we're about to have this 15 days to slow the curve thing where everybody's going to stay home? What decision with technology could have really been made to avoid some of the issues we see in the supply chain now? Again, I feel like tracking at the micro level for metal would make a bigger piece. I mean, at the mill level, and I'm not terribly a a metal guy, so I don't know, but at the mill level, someone's creating creating a piece of metal and then it's being put into a shape and sent off. But after that, you know, it's cut in different lengths. It's, you know, moved around. After it moves out of the mill, it's going to get this one massive order is going to get split up between a dozen suppliers. It's going to turn into a hundred suppliers, trickle down to all the smaller suppliers. Knowing where the flow of metal goes, knowing that if a mill has a standard size steel sheet and that gets cut up into five or six other pieces or gets sent to a supplier chain, as you know, goes to supplier A, then goes to supplier B, then goes to supplier C, then hits the customer. And supplier C knows the customer is in a particular industry, you know, continue with the, and make deer stands. Then the mill can backtrack that information and say, we know that one of our sheets, and so they only purchased one, went to this person on this day. So it, it lets each person on that entire supply chain understand their customer and the customer stream better. And then they can look at what industries would be affected. I mean, Obviously, we weren't building a whole bunch of new buildings. We didn't need new stadiums during COVID. So if my primary suppliers were stadium people that built stadiums, I wouldn't need that. But if it was something that is easier to do social distance or is still heavily needed, even during a pandemic, and is easy to work around during a pandemic, then I'm more likely to need that. Um, we can never really guess everything. We just want to take as many of these variables out to make it easier. 
So Jonathan, do we have evidence that maybe that is the case? For instance, do we have a surplus of a certain type of metal that really just totally wasted right now and being unused? And if they had changed their mind at what they were milling at the time, we would have more supply of something else. Like for instance, the oil and gas industry totally tanked at the beginning of the pandemic lockdown stuff because people weren't driving anywhere. People weren't flying anywhere nearly as much. So is there something where we have evidence that there is just like a ton of this particular product out there that's not being purchased and everybody has it and wants to offset it and it's really cheap right now? Or is that not the case? From my experience, that is not the case. Um, and I think that at least this is exactly because customers who are usually buying, let's say, A572 or A36 for carbon grades, they are now trying to figure out, well, if that's unavailable, what other grades do you have? Can I make that work? So then that drives a need for that maybe type of grade or a material that's just sitting and the price. But I think overall, because of the current market, everything has gone up. So there's not really anything that uh, is being not affected. So everything is selling. Yes. Uh, stainless is gold at the moment. Carbon steel is selling like crazy. Suppliers have a lot to deal with at this moment. They have to decide whether they... Who are they going to sell to, right? Uh, they have contracts, they have, they have customers and buying them for decades, and they're having to make these decisions on who do we sell to, how do we sell it to them, at what price, because it's uh, it's a prediction game at this point on when they'll get more material. That's interesting. So, William, basically what he said is, you're wrong. How now, you is, this, that? is this based on the fact that mills stop producing, and do they stop producing? Well, I think that's... Of- I think that's a fair question. And did mills stop producing? Maybe, Jonathan, do you know if they if they had like a timeout period for a few months there where they shut everything down? They did have a time where I would say they had shortage of employees, shortage of production. And from a standpoint of a mill, from visiting them, I mean, being down 24 hours can affect a mill heavily. So you can imagine if uh, the time that we dealt with, if COVID were to break out and that takes who knows how long, right? or a winter storm shuts them down because of freezing over, two or three days can put a mill behind so fast. And that's one of the hardest things for suppliers is waiting for them to catch up and catching up is a tall task. And I think that's probably true. And I think there is some legitimacy to what William is saying too. I think that largely the industry is still very, very much in the the 20th century, if not still the 19th century, as it goes to being able to ramp up quickly. But I mean, part of it's also, you know, how quickly you can get metal out of the ground, if I'm not mistaken. Does that have any delay here? I could chime in. And you are correct, Tony. The materials that primarily produce these are in short supply and high demand as well. Is there a fit? I'm sure there is efficiency problems all the way down to the mining level where if we tracked this one variable closer, all of a sudden we'd solve 50% of the problems. All these industries are plagued with low hanging fruit problems like that, that if they were just solved would increase production by a huge amount. I Do feel like, with that? yeah. And I feel like there are two solutions to this problem. One of them again, and they both actually go back to, to tracking the material one of them is if we know the industry is involved and we hit a COVID-like situation, each supplier can kind of prioritize different industries and know that they will sell stuff still. So they don't have to try to sell early on at the lowest price. They instead know that 
these industries are going to come back first. These ones are probably going to be less affected. We have options to sell and we have a better idea of when we'll have metal again. We don't run into this issue where everybody sells out up first and then is left with nothing for months. They can trickle it based off of a better understanding of the entire supply chain. All right. So let's let's focus more now on logistics, the the freight and trucking of these supplies, which I know there's just tons of, of inefficiencies in that type of system. What could you say might be one of the lowest hanging fruits in the freight industry that could increase things getting where they're supposed to go? <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. It's increasing production of moving things, but uh, in, to, to, to speed up the supply chain's ability to recover to where things are coming in at a regular time again. I think that I suspect in the metal industry, there are many times where a piece of metal is moved more times than it really should to get to a, a customer that would want the product. Like maybe something is shipped from, from Dallas to Houston and then later shipped back from Houston to Dallas where it's sold to someone in Dallas or, you know, vice versa in this example. And any move in metal is a loss in, in time. It's a massive loss of money. Metal's heavy. You know, the, the gas cost of moving it probably plays heavily into margins and heavily into what the customer sees to create those, you know, existing margins. So I think that that is probably an easy win, something that better tracks them, the metal pieces themselves and the customer, because it lowers these inefficiencies, these, these extra hops just, in, you know, are less effective all around bad for everybody in the entire supply chain. Outside of that, I'm not really sure how that is going to play a major role in fixing the current market issues, but it is going to make it quicker for a rollout if we understand each piece, again, on the on the more micro level. If we're shipping a truck full of metal and each piece of metal effectively or bundled five, 10, however it wants to be bundled, but in a smaller amount is grouped together. So we understand at a much more micro level, it hits a factory, a supplier factory before it's shipped out again. We can kind of follow this entire pathway back. And because of that, we can decide, hey, should this bundle stay in Dallas instead of moving to Houston? Because most likely it'll sell in Dallas before time when it could be an issue even so kind of knowing where the product is supposed to be before it's actually sold is a huge game changer. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. And we can predict that. We should be able to predict that, but it does require management of, you know, who is recording this the entire time. And we, we can attempt to predict it as a starting point, but as an industry, we're going to get best results if everybody starts doing this. If everybody starts tracking, and again, everyone starts tracking at a micro level. If you're talking about, oh yeah, we moved... 40,000 pounds of stainless steel sheet, that doesn't really do as much for us unless every single one of your customers is buying 20 to 40,000 pounds. It doesn't do something for us. If you have somebody making, you know, again, deer stands and he's buying five sheets or three sheets, it's really not going to take that into account in numbers. And we need to know down to these smallest levels and smaller suppliers. It would be helpful on the large guys for just them to do the larger amounts, but these small suppliers make up so much of the industry without them, the prediction is always going to be 
quite often. Jonathan, do you have anything to add to that? Able to be seen? Have you ever seen metal go from one place to the other and back to the other because that's where it's sold? Not in particular, no. There are some instances where if it is kept in a certain area that is not best for it, for it to last for a long time because of the weather, there are options where certain companies will put tarps and fans and they go to extreme measures to keep these in good condition for as long as they can. So I am sure there is validity to that, William. But I, I, th- I feel like we, um, data is not captured nearly enough no. to be able to identify that problem in real time. And I think that it totally could be. But yeah, this, I mean, this is the big problem that technology is trying to solve in general in these traditional industries where it's just, can we get a little bit of adoption so that we can test out something big right and a little bit of adoption is very difficult to get but we're working on it right and a good example where something like this has worked really well is walmart decided a number of years ago that every time you know there was an issue where they had to do a recall on tomatoes or carrots or something because someone got sick they effectively had to throw out all the tomatoes and all the carrots because they had no idea what was bad they had to assume everything was bad. They can't be selling bad tomatoes. The government's going to get on for that. Two or three people get sick. It's a major liability to them. So what they started doing is doing it at the farm level and even doing it at a, the bundle level. They created a bunch of small crates for vegetables. They were all labeled and shipped and tracked the entire process. So then if I went into a Walmart here in Dallas, picked up a bad tomato and ate it, they could track that I bought it on, you know, Tuesday, February the 4th. They could track it back and say it was picked off of farm X, Y, or Z. Here are all the other pieces of tomatoes that it was nearby. So they can test them quickly. They can remove just those from the supply chain. And they were able to turn around and after they implemented the system, next time they had an issue with, and I believe it was tomatoes on that one, where people were getting sick, they had to uh um, remove less than one ten thousandth of their tomatoes to make up for it. And they were able to get it much, much quicker. It used to take them about a, a week or two to figure out where it came from, but they figured it out instantaneously. They figured out same day where those tomatoes came from and we were able to start removing that. And it never calls an issue where you walk into the store and there are no tomatoes for a few days. Yeah, I've certainly gotten phone calls from Kroger for that as well. Like, hey, you purchased this lettuce that's possibly tainted on this particular date. And I think that's that is pretty incredible technology. But I think that's uh, I think that's good. I think, William, you're the man. We appreciate you coming on today. Jonathan, always a pleasure to see you. And Mikey C., we always appreciate you as well. But I think that's the end of this one today. So have a wonderful day. And this has been In The Now. In The Now, brought to you by Steel Now. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know how we're doing. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes.
In the Now, brought to you by Steel Now. We look at technology and current marketing conditions and how they're affecting traditional industries. Subscribe to us on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.